Hi guys, it's Lockie here and it's been the craziest off-season for the Supercars Championship with explosive news stories and some of the most controversial political tension our sport's ever seen. But we're hitting the track this weekend for the first round, which means we're back with our traditional preview podcast where we run our critical eyes over the form guide for the entire Supercars field. So, let's get into it. Our 2024 Repco Supercars Championship preview here on Checkered Flag Chat. And as per tradition, my good friend and sports journalist Shane Jones joins me for the Checkered Flag Chat Supercars Preview Podcast. Jonesy, welcome to you. Welcome. Thank you for having me. And before we get into going through each of the teams and drivers, I think there's some preliminary talking points that we have to cover off. Now, we are a form guide type podcast. We're not a news analysis podcast because there's plenty of those out there. But I think we still have to talk about the big story of the off-season, the Brody Kostecki and Erebus Motorsport fiasco because of the implications that that has on the rest of the season. It has been one of the wildest, craziest stories that we've seen in the history of this championship. Yeah, I remember where I was when it when it sort of dropped uh, a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, it's one of those moments where you remember where you were when the news dropped about what had happened uh, with Brody and um, Erebus Motorsport. And it was quite crazy, to be brutally honest. And um, I know when I certainly saw the news and then I started telling people and full transparency, I worked for News Corp. So um, we obviously were one of the ones that, that broke the news um, during the day. Um, and then, and then obviously as the, as everything unraveled and then the story just kept on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And to be honest, we still don't know where it's going to end. We still don't know what's going to happen with it overall. And, um, we don't know what, I guess, damage or reputation or every, everything else in between is going to happen, uh, over the next few weeks. And I'm assuming that's going to play out and I'm not going to be here to, to speculate and do those types of things. But I guess, I guess the clear points about it all is, it's not really a great look for the sport when you've got the number one team in the paddock from last year completely lost of its of its two drivers. They've lost all their sponsors. And then you've got Brody. He's not going to race in the championship, at least in the first round. We, we don't know if he's going to race at all this year. We don't know if he's going to be racing for another team. We don't know what's going to be happening with, with, happening with him. So heading into Bathurst, we should be celebrating him. We should be celebrating the fact of, of his achievements last year and, and just the amazing effort that that team was able to, to provide and do to win the championship. But we're going to get none of that at Bathurst because we're going to have two new drivers. The team's going to be a shadow of itself in terms of what it looks like on the, on the grid at least. And then you've got, and then you've got all the drama to play out behind it. I, I think it's just a really sad moment for the sport where um, yes, it's gained a lot of publicity and a lot of traction that they probably otherwise wouldn't have got, but on the same, same token, um, we have a lot of questions heading into the season and we just don't know what the answers are going to be. And we also probably, it's, going to, it's deflected a lot from what could be one of the great seasons that we're going to have, particularly with so many contenders for the championship. And just on the subject of questions that we're still waiting on to be answered, as we go into this podcast, we are having to make some assumptions about how the driver and team lineups are going to look. So... We've made the assumption that Brody Kostecki is not going to be on the grid for the whole championship at least. And we're also making the assumption that Todd Hazelwood's going to do the whole season with Erebus Motorsport. And we've based our championship position predictions on that. One of the other things that's happened in the off-season, and 
Because of the whole Erebus saga, a lot of the attention has been deflected from it, and that is the parity testing and the adjustments to the cars that have happened. So off the back of what was a pretty controversial, at times, season for parity between the Mustang and the Camaro in 2023, both cars were sent over to the US and completed some wind tunnel testing, and there's also engine testing continuing here in Australia with the use of the torque sensors. So for the purposes of our predictions, Jonesy, we can only assume that the parity has been achieved much more satisfactorily between the two brands than it was last year, um, and that we're going to have the Camaro and the Mustang both being relatively equal or, or certainly a lot more evenly matched than they were last season. Well, I think in terms of aero and the, and the car design, I think we're going to be pretty close. Um, obviously, the wind tunnel test in America will, will prove that or at least look to prove that. Um, and obviously, the changes have been made to both the Camaro and the Mustang uh, in the off-season, and they've gone testing with that. The Obviously, the, obviously the only issue that's left now is the engine. Um, and I know... If, and I know that during the, the summer, particularly from the Ford camp, they, they've done some extensive testing um, on the on the engine to improve that uh, and try and match it with the Camaro. And, and DJR have taken over from Herod Engineering in relation to the control of the Ford engine. So they've obviously made some changes in the off-season. We also had some de- demonstration laps at um, Bathurst the previous week for the 12-hour in preparation for the 500 this weekend. So I'm not sure we're going to get that entirely perfect, but I think we're going to be pretty close there as well. So I think on, in terms of parity, we should be as close to parity as what we've ever been with Gen 3, and I think that's positive. It means that the, the guys from the Ford camp will at least head to Bathurst this year knowing that they've got a legitimate chance to win that race. And I think from the Camaro camp, it also, if they can go on and win this year's championship or, or, or perform and do really well with their wins, um, it probably also solidifies that, hey, yeah, okay, we might have had a little bit of an advantage last year, but we're still good teams. We still can perform really, really well, and we can still deliver the results even when the parity is completely level and speaking of teams there's been lots of off-season changes in team land in fact there's only two teams that head into 2024 with entirely unchanged driver lineups from 2023 and even those two teams have also undergone some pretty significant personnel changes uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was a pretty crazy sort of silly season which only escalated with the whole Kostecki and Erebus situation. Before we get into the predictions, now, last year we, we went into it pretty much flying blind because it was the first season for the new Gen 3 cars. At least this year we can use last year's championship positions as a bit of a form guide, but conversely, last year we had a pre-season test day at Sydney Motorsport Park where all of the teams were in it attendance and we got a, a bit of a, a read from that I mean you can never read too much into testing but at least we had a bit of an idea where the drivers and the teams sat in the pecking order not this year though because all of the Victorian teams have tested at Winton all of the Queensland based teams have tested at Queensland Raceway and uh, therefore there's nothing that we can use as far as 2024 is concerned where we can compare the teams directly against one another or, for that matter, see if the parity adjustments have worked. We're not going to know the answer to any of that until we get to Bathurst. I actually reckon it's going to be tougher this year because you've got the situation where we've got the aero changes, we've got the engine changes, we also have team changes, so multiple drivers have gone to different teams or there's been changes inside the pers- inside the team itself 
um, looking for different results into 2024. There's obviously then the, the preseason test where we have no times whatsoever. Obviously, the teams will know roughly what times they were doing on the days at Winton and, and Queensland Raceway. But to the general public and to um, some of the media, they won't have a clue as to what time some of the teams were doing. So at least with Sydney last year when we did the preseason test, yes, um, the team that ended up being on top didn't end up winning the championship. But it gave you a good guide as to what the season could provide. BJR were better. Brad Jones Racing, I should say, were better than what they were previously. And they were sh- they showed at the, the Sydney test that they were one of the strong teams. Early on, they were one of the strong teams. And if you look at the Sydney results in particular, when we got to the to the later end of the season, when we went to Sydney Motorsport Park for the for the night and the and the day race, Andre Heimgartner almost ended up winning one of the races. So his performance from the test translated into into the round itself. Whereas this year we've got really not much of a form guide. Um, and obviously, if you look at last year's results, which I'm assuming we're going to get to throughout the the the, the talking of the the 24 entries. We're going to use some of that as a guide, but some of that guide is going to be null and void because the last couple of rounds, Ford had a a far better package um, at their disposal, which yielded them good results. I'm not saying that their package was better than the Camaro, but it gave them a better competitive advantage to end up getting those wins at the end. And then obviously for for the most part of the season, it was clear that the Camaro had the advantage. Whereas now you probably think, given what we've spoken about with parity, it's going to be pretty equal. So again, we're going to get back to the point of it's probably going to be the driver yielding that that car forward rather than the driver and the car with the advantage yielding the car forward. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. And obviously for us predicting it all is going to be the challenge and we'll see how we go. So for the last three or so minutes, Jonesy and I have just uh, given our excuses for why our predictions this year are going to be wrong, just like most of our predictions were last year. And they'll, prob- <laughs> and they'll probably be this year. Like on- honestly, yep. um, I-, I think I was speaking to you about this before we actually went on 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 air to to, to do the podcast. Probably the top five and the bottom five, with all due respect to to the drivers, it, it was probably the the easier parts to pick. I'm not saying that those those five in the top and those five at the bottom are guaranteed to be there, but it's just you know roughly who's going to be at the top and who's going to be at the bottom, but. In between, probably six to to six, uh, six to nineteen, it's tough. Like you, you could literally, and I'm assuming we'll get to them. You'll probably have one driver rated highly. I'll probably have one rated lower, and we might have a few in the in the imbalance. But there might be a few that are a bit off the mark because there's just so much competition in in that in that group that we might see one driver doing better than another, and that's where it might sort of um, have that that balance. So. It's going to be fascinating. So with all of that in mind, let's get down to business. Stop making excuses and actually put our money no, where our mouth is. No excuses from me here. So we're going to go through the teams in alphabetical order, and that means we start with the Blanchard Racing Team, expanding to two cars this season. Todd Hazelwood out and a new lineup of the experienced James Courtney and the rookie Aaron Love, one of three rookies on the grid this season. And James Courtney, massive fan of the Penrith Panthers. And just like the Panthers keep finding ways of winning rugby league premierships, so James Courtney keeps finding ways of remaining as a full-time driver on the supercars grid. 
I think that his experience will pay dividends, and I think that he'll get enough decent results to finish comfortably in the top 20. Aaron Love showed some glimpses of pace last year in Super 2, but he was only ninth in the standings. So it's a big jump from coming ninth in Super 2 up to, to being on the main game grid. But in saying that, he still did enough in Super 2, particularly his pace in qualifying to justify escalation to the main game, but he was involved in quite a few incidents last year. Three DNFs in Super 2, which uh, hurt his points tally, but we should add to that that he had a race win as well. Uh, The team might have some growing pains expanding to two cars, although at least they had some practice with the wild card that they ran in in the Enduros last year. But I've got James Courtney predicted to finish 16th in the championship, unfortunately, for Aaron Love. I see him finishing 24th and last of the full-time drivers just with those question marks around his race consistency. Well, good start to us. We're, we're on track. So I have James Courtney 17th and I have Aaron Love also in position 24. I'll start with Aaron Love first. Um, full credit to him for getting an opportunity in super in supercars. And um, this, year's all, 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 this year is going to be about rebuilding and learning and, and getting the craft of supercars underway. I'll give you one guarantee with Aaron Love. He will surprise throughout the year in qualifying. There will be times where he'll pop up inside the top 10 or in the top five, or he'll do something significant with that car and we'll all sit there and go, whoa, that's quick. The big key for him is to translate that that raw pace and that raw talent into race craft, race pace, and everything else in between. We've seen with others in, in the last few years, Will Brown, Brock Feeney, um, those guys who have genuinely had pace um, and know how to extract really quick pace out of the car. We, we, we've noticed that they've shown those glimpses and then over time they've built that race craft, built that competitiveness and, and that um, so consistency. Aaron Love's going to build that over time, but this year probably won't be that year. He'll have a few DNFs on the way, but there'll be times where he'll pr- produce what he's really, really good at. Um, and get some really good results um, inside the top 15 or maybe inside the top 10. But I just think those inconsistencies in terms of results will will hurt him along the way, and that's why I've got him last. In relation to Courtney, I completely agree with you. I think his experience is going to help him this year to get some results, and that will push him higher than probably what I what I think that team can be able to provide. I really think Blanchard's going to struggle going from one car to two cars. Um, we saw last year they struggled as one car, Um whether that 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 um, that 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 struggling is going to um, come into the two car scenario remains to be seen. Obviously, um, the one advantage they will have is they'll have two sets of data to look at rather than just the one. Mm. But the the big thing for me is is that they struggled with one car. <clears throat> You've now got two cars where you need double the mechanics, double the engineers, double the personnel, double everything. And whether or not you can quickly build to that two and then be instantly successful, I have my doubts about that happening. And that's why I think Blanchard's going to be further down. In two or three years' time, they could be certainly well on the way up to, to, to doing some really good performances. But I think they've got to walk before, uh, crawl before they walk. Yeah, and at least, like I said, at least they had the experience running the wild card in the Enduros as well as often uh, also running the Super 2 campaign for Aaron Love last year. So... I don't think it'll be too bad. And and as you said, they'll have the advantages of that data comparison between the two cars as well. Moving on to Brad Jones Racing, and they've retained three out of their four drivers from last year. The only change is that Jack Smith is out and one of our other rookies in the field, Jackson Evans, comes in to drive that car. Now, uh, Andre Heimgartner 
was very strong last season. In fact, BJR repeated what they've shown in the past where in the first half a season or two-thirds of a season of a major technical change, they have flown out of the blocks, and that was certainly the case last year. Although Heimgartner didn't win any races, he was on the podium on multiple occasions, unlucky, like you said, not to get the race victory at Sydney Motorsport Park. However, I do have my concerns about BJR being able to maintain that momentum into this year, particularly with the parity being even. I felt like they probably had a bit of an advantage with the, the Camaro being the stronger package in the, certainly in the first half of last season. And we saw some concerning signs towards the back half of 2023 that they were starting to fade away a little bit. So I do have a few worries there. And I do think that there might be some teams, especially forward teams, that will leapfrog them this year. Once again, Andre Heimgarten is their best chance of big results. Forward was definitely closer to him last year before the other two, Jackson Evans, rookie driver, but has a great pedigree, certainly, in Carrera Cup here in Australia, got some excellent results and continued that overseas as well. McCauley Jones, as we've touched on in this podcast before, you know, really a bit of pressure on now. And you'd have to say that he has to perform if he's to justify having a future as a full-time driver. So in terms of championship predictions, I've actually got Andre Heimgart narrowly missing the top 10 this year in 11th. And that's no disservice to him. It's more just about the fact that like I say, I think there'll be teams that will leapfrog BJR this year. So Heimgartner 11th, Bryce Fullwood 15th, Jackson Evans 22nd and McCauley Jones 23rd. Uh, I've got Andre far higher than that. Uh, I've got him top five. So oh, I've, wow. got him, okay. I've got him in fifth. There we go. So I, I counterbalance your Brad Jones racing struggling at the end of the year to Andre's last few results. So he finished fifth at Sandown. Bathurst was a retirement and we can't really blame him for that given that uh, he had an engine failure, and before that, um, Dale Wood had an incident uh, in the final corner and was um, buried in the sand trap at Murray's Corner. So um, that's not really entirely his fault, but obviously that's going to hurt his, hurt his championship prospects. And then after that, he finished 7th and 17th at Surface Paradise and 9th and 6th in Adelaide. So for all the Brad Jones racing didn't really perform well in the second half of the series... Brad, um, Andre Heimgartner was still able to extract some really, really good results. And I still think that he's one of the top drivers in the category and he can still put that car um, in, in most posi- in, in um, positions to win and, and to really get some consistent points. And I, I believe that, yes, the other teams are probably going to catch up and obviously the four teams are going to be far more competitive this year compared to last year. But I still think Andre's one of the, the, the top-rated drivers in this championship. And I think if everything goes right for him and he gets the package that he, that, that could win him a title, he's got every chance of doing that. But you're right. I just don't think that that's going to happen. And the other factor as well is Brad Jones Racing didn't win a race last year. So you think that they're going to have to improve a little bit more uh, this year to get that win because you think that the four teams are obviously going to improve, put themselves in a better position to win races. And then obviously you've got Triple Eight and Erebus who have brought in brand new chassis for each of their uh two cars, two-car team, they're probably going to do a, an improvement as well. So 
you think with all that they've got to improve, but I still think Andre's going to produce some really good results over the year, and there's certain tracks that he's really strong at, and he'll yield the best results out of that and put himself into the top five. Uh, in relation to the others, uh, I've got Bryce pretty similar to you. I've got uh, Bryce in 14th. I've got Jackson in 22nd, exactly the same as you, and McCauley in 23rd, exactly the same as you as well. Uh, McCauley, again, I think I've probably said this about 100 times in our podcasts. It's it's usually the make-or-break year for, for McCauley, but obviously... He, Given his position in the um, in the team, uh, if everyone's happy to have him on board, well then he stays on board. But yeah, one day the the, the pendulum will will swing. Whether whether that is he gets the results and and he pushes himself up the grid um, further and 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 gets gets up towards a top ten or a top five finish. But obviously the pendulum can go the other way where he just continually gets these results that puts him in the bottom five. And one day sooner rather than later, everyone goes well. Okay, we've had some fun. Let's let's move on and, and let's put another driver in the in the car. Um, I'm hoping for his sake. It's the first part. I hope he can get some really good results. But uh, the form just doesn't doesn't resonate that that's going to happen. So I still have McCauley um, not being able to get those results. Jackson's the the intriguing one, um, given his pedigree in in different sports, uh, in different motorsports, I should say, and his success overseas. So he's going to be one to look out for. But I just think. It's a big challenge going from a co-driver who's probably raced supercars, what, twice in his career? Yep. Um, to go in straight in as a full-time driver. So like probably Aaron Love, there'll be times where we'll be genu- genuinely surprised about Jackson Evans and his performances and he'll qualify really, really well. But I just think there's going to be opportunities throughout the year. Well, not opportunities, but there's going to be times throughout the year where he's going to really, really struggle and I don't think he's going to put good results on the board. And I think that's why I've sort of put him in, in, in 22nd. But again, I get... I, Again, I think he's going to perform really well throughout the year at certain times, and I think that's that's going to show us and the world that he's he's certainly capable of um, putting your performances once he gets more consistency with the car. The other factor as well is it's the fourth BJR car, and we've seen with four four car teams, um, not just BJR but other teams as well, that once you get to the third and the fourth car, trying to extract the same results as your first and second car can be really, really difficult at times. So I think that factor is going to impact Jackson a little bit as well. And in relation to Bryce, I think Bryce was one of the standouts in 2023, um, certainly rose up the ranks. But I think because of because of the advantage that they had at the start of the season, I think Bryce got, got the full full potential of those results. And I think that's why he was so high up the 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 the, the um, championship standings before obviously later in the year all the other teams caught up and he sort of fell back a little bit I expect him to fall back a little bit but there'll be times where he'll be really really strong and competitive the the package will be in the window and he'll be able to get some good results but I think yeah I think between yeah 12 and 16 but I've got him 14th yeah and just in relation to that four car comment that you made let's not forget that BJR is now the only four car team that's left with Tickford obviously scaling back Two two cars, and I think we should give them credit for that. Um, to run four cars, to have them all financially viable, to have them all, um, all all sorted out with with um with drivers, and and let's not and let's be honest. If you look at that team for the last three to four years, it's been pretty, pretty much the same. There's mm. been a lot of continuity with that team, and you look at some of the others around the around the garages. <laughs> it's been the complete opposite. They've been they've been chopping and changing quite consistently. So. To have that continuity is going to be an advantage, but I think full credit needs to go to him to um, to, to 
put four cars on the grid every round and, and, and certainly perform really perform really, really well, particularly with a couple of the cars. I think they should be commended. And it was great to see they had a recent fan day up in Albury where their where their base is and they had they had thousands of people mm. flock to that to that event. So they're clearly well supported, clearly well loved. Obviously Brad Jones is an icon of the sport. So it's really great to see that, yeah, not only do the team perform really, really well and get the four cars out every every time, but also I guess um, in in um, in in back their way, they get the fans to support them as well. So it's really really cool that that it's all happening. And yeah, I wish them nothing but the best this year. Yeah, and I mean they're one of the few teams left that's owned by genuine racers. I mean we're seeing you know with the likes of Stephen Grove coming in, even Betty Clemenko at Erebus. Um, you know, you're getting these teams that have got people who've been successful in other businesses outside of motorsport deciding that they want to go motor racing, whereas with BJR, Brad and Kim Jones, they are always have been and always will be racers. They've never really had any other businesses. So I agree, full credit to them for remaining on the grid. Uh, Dick Johnson Racing is the next team on our list, and it's going to be a big year for this team with drivers out of contracts, young Kyle Allen waiting in the wings. There's been some changes at management level with Ryan Storey coming back in as team principal, but Ludo Lacroix departing from their engineering department. Last year, as the team that was responsible for homologating the Mustang, fair to say that the results were, were not what they were aiming for with both of the drivers only just scraping into the top 10 in the championship at the end of the year. And I do see with the improvements that we're expecting for the Mustang from a parity standpoint, a slight improvement on last year. I think that Deeper Squally will be a bit more consistent than he was in 2023. I don't think it's going to be quite enough to get him in the top five in the Drivers' Championship, though, and I reckon that there's going to be some other four teams that are going to be outperforming DJR this year. So in terms of their predicted championship results, I've got Anton De Pasquale sixth, so a bit better than he went last year. I think Will Davison's probably going to end up in a fairly similar position. I've got him in 10th place, and obviously some big questions around Will's future given that, like I said, he's out of contract and you've got young Kai Allen waiting in the wings as well. Now, before I say my two uh, places where the drivers will, will land this year, a um, bit of transparency. Lachlan and I did not consult with each other in terms of our predictions, and we did not show each other what our list was. Literally, I have not seen his list. He has not seen mine. Uh, so the reason I say that is because I've got Anton in sixth, and I've got Will Davison in ninth. So we're almost similar again. <laughs> and we've been similar pr- pretty much throughout so far. So, um, yeah, as I said, we have not looked at each other's lists. So if you're thinking, oh, hang on, they've just copied each other or they've just sort of had a discussion table beforehand, nope, we go into this completely um, unaware of what the other person is going to predict. I-, I completely agree with you with, with Anton. I think he's going to be the best of the rest outside the top five and, and be competitive. And there was an interesting comment from Ryan Story. Um, in one of the podcasts that he did recently where he well it was on speed cafe I should I should credit them for, for getting Brian's story and he said that that the changes that they've made in the off season are going to take time to be implemented and to get them successful again so I can see DJR on the second half of the season being really really strong and getting performances but I think in the first half we'll probably see that 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 similar scenario to last year where um, you got um, one one race they're outside the top 10 the next race they're inside the top 10 those types of things so i think that's going to hurt 
the prospective championship chances of both of those both of these drivers. So I think Anton's going to do pretty well this year. I think I mean he won a, he won a race last year and finished third at Bathurst in in a car that most people said couldn't be competitive against the Camaros, but at different times of the race, they could have almost won if um, certain things happened to the front two cars. So I, I think DJR extracted plenty of good results from the circumstances they are in, and I think they're going to try and do that again this year. But I don't think we're going to see them back to their DJR Team Penske days, maybe until the end of the year. And obviously by then it might be a little bit too late because there'll probably be a couple of other teams in front of them. But I still think Anton's going to do really well. Will Davison, this is a make or break year for him. We all expect Kyle Allen to be somewhere at DJR next year in terms of a full-time drive. Whether that is replacing Anton or Will, we obviously don't know. But we just think that the trajectory of Kyle Allen is going to be in in supercars next year full-time and with DJR. So clearly... Because of that, one of these two drivers will be probably out on the outer next year. So for Will, it's a big year for him to, to reproduce good results, to, to get back to that 2020, 2021 level where he was putting the car on pole, getting race wins, and, and really being almost the second or third contender in, in terms of the championship race and, and really um, um, being competitive against Shane Van Gisbergen. So if he can get back to that level, he'll guarantee himself a drive for 2025. Um, but I, I just think that, I, I just don't think we're going to see that level again, not this year anyway. Um, but his consistency will be good enough this year to, to give him an, enough top 10 finishes to keep him around that mark. So that's why I've got him at ninth. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Let's hope that if it is his last year as a full-time driver, that he at least gets the send-off that he deserves because he's been a terrific competitor in our sport for a long period of time. Um, his first full-time season was way back in 2006, and we've obviously seen that he's been a championship contender in some seasons. He's had a couple of Bathurst wins as well. So from DJR, we move on to the team that's on everyone's lips at the moment, and that is Erebus Motorsport. Wow. <laughs> where, <laughs> where do we start? Yeah, where do we start? Where do we start with these guys? So, obviously, this is the championship-winning team of both the drivers and the team's championships from 2023. They come into this season with an all-new driver lineup. Jack LeBrock's locked in for the whole season. Todd Hazelwood, as we record this podcast, confirms to be driving at Bathurst, but we're going to make the educated assumption that he will see out the full season with Erebus as well. Obviously, they, they absolutely nailed it when it came to Gen 3 last year and rolled out with very fast cars right through the season with Brody Kostecki and Will Brown both winning races. But I do reckon just with the upheaval that's gone on in that team, both their drivers gone, the benefits of having a fast car from last year will fade quickly and the team will very rapidly go from being a powerhouse competing for poles and race wins every weekend to a team that is vying for occasional podiums which is a bit of a sad state of affairs when you consider how strong they were last season but I just think that the cars are so evenly matched now in this Gen 3 era that you only need to be a fraction away and you fall 10 or more spots down the grid and it hasn't been talked about yet that much but Brody's technical feedback was a huge reason a huge factor behind why Erebus got on top of the Gen 3 cars so quickly last year. 
not having his technical feedback there anymore, that is going to be a massive loss and one that is really going to sting. Also, you'd have to say, based on what we've heard, that there's probably some questions that need to be asked about the team culture. And, um, you know, I know that this is quite a, a negative sort of overview that I'm giving and, and a big part of me hopes that I'm proven wrong and they can go better. But um, this might sound harsh, but I've got Jack LeBrock ninth, Todd Hazelwood, <laughs> you know... Looks like he was going to be without a full-time drive. Suddenly finds himself driving with the championship-winning team, but unfortunately, I, I just I don't see him getting the the sorts of results that he'd be hoping for. And I've actually got him down in 14th in the championship as my predicted finish for him. I've got Jack in 11th and Todd in 15th, so pretty similar. <laughs> so you're similar. Yeah. Um, um, we'll put the asterisks above them. To be honest, Erebus were the hardest ones to probably put into position. Um, so I'm going to start with the positives. So they had the best two cars last year. They had mo- they have most of the team that's that that guided them to the title still there, minus the two drivers that guided them to it. Um, they've they've built two new chassis over the off season. So clearly, if there's any issues from the first two, they would have rectified them in the in the next two. And the fact is, they'll get to Bathurst and they'll still have everything there. And, and let's not forget last year when they got to Bathurst the first time, Erebus was clearly the quicker car. It was just Triple Eight being better better equipped in the race to to build their car for a race package rather than a one lap package, which obviously Erebus did and were successful at doing. Um, so to me they've got a window probably the first two to three rounds where they need to probably maximize their results and they can maximize their results. But then it's gonna be Will that, then it's going to be a, the, the negative factors that are probably going to swamp into the team at some stage throughout the year. How's the team chemistry going to go if if the worst case scenario with Brody happens and he doesn't return and things continue to spiral out of control with that? How will the the new team handle the two drivers if they don't perform well over the next over the first couple of rounds? I hope that's not the case, but you know that if they don't perform the same in the same scenario as Will and Brody, then obviously you're going to get internal um, communication between each other and things are going to happen and that might cause some fractures. Um, the other factor as well is, and you hit the nail on the head, Brody and Will's success last year came through their technical um, advantages of being able to tell their engineers what they wanted out of the car and being able to extract what they wanted onto the racetrack. If you look at Jack LeBrock last year, he came out of the blocks really, really quickly and was really successful at MSR when everyone had the same package. But then over the year, that MSR product got gradually worse and worse and further back to the grid. So you'd argue that Jack will need to pick up his game a little bit in that regard to keep Erebus at the top. And the same applies to Todd. Both of them need to be technically sound to make sure that Erebus can continue that 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 platform that they've set up from last year into this year. If they don't, then they'll fall down the pecking order and they'll quickly be swallowed up by some of the other teams. There's just too many factors in this team negatively to sit there and go, can they repeat what they did last year? Can they win the team's championship? Probably not. And can one of the two, in terms of Todd and Jack, go on and win the Drivers' Championship and keep it within Erebus? And again, you probably sit here and go, probably not. So... In, in the first three rounds, they've got to be really, really good to extract the best results as they can and then just continue the momentum. If they can do really well in the first three rounds, have both of them inside the top six in the championship, it will 
seemed like a seamless transition between um, their two drivers last year, the two drivers this year. But I'll tell you right here, right now, if those two drivers struggle in Erebus straight away... Yeah, it's going to be a long season. It's going to be a long season for mm. them, and that's just going to continually get worse and worse and worse. And you just hope that that environment become doesn't become completely toxic and it, it becomes a, a negative for everyone involved. Yeah, I mean, we keep our fingers crossed. You and I are both friends with Todd Hazelwood in particular, and... You know, on one hand, stoked that he's got the opportunity to be on the grid full time again for what is the championship winning team. And you just hope, don't you, that he can take advantage of that and and get some results. Well, this is his last chance. Oh, 100%. And and, and mm. I'm not saying that in a, in a negative way. It's just like he was on the outer at the end of last year. He's been given a massive reprieve. He's been given, essentially a car that should be good enough to do really, really well at Bathurst. And if you look at Todd's qualifying performances last year in the the Blanchard Racing Team car, they were pretty good. So it wasn't the fact that the one-lap speed of the Blanchard Racing Team was was bad. It was more the race package itself and not putting themselves into the window. Well, Everest last year raced really, really well. So if everything works like it did last year for Erebus, Todd inserts himself in, can provide some great feedback to the engineer, which will probably be George Commons. It's Mm. a title-winning engineer. I mean, Mm. he has all the ingredients to do really well. And I'd argue that Todd's just never been given a decent crack or given a decent opportunity to to really show his true potential. He's got that opportunity now. If he can extract um, that that opportunity and and get some really good results, well, this could be the career saver that he needs. So, uh, as I said... Take the negatives away. This is a really good opportunity for Jack LeBrock and Todd Hazelwood to do some really good performances. But the problem is there are a lot of negatives going on Mm. on that team right now. And sooner or later, it's going to infiltrate into that team and provide provide, um, some unwelcome distractions into their season, which could lead to poor performances. So you just hope that that doesn't happen. But the unfortunate circumstances are that it's there. And, and they've got to deal with it at some stage throughout the year. So from a team that might be on the decline, we move on to one that has all of the hallmarks of being a team on the rise, and that's Grove Racing. Um, obviously, they had David Reynolds last year, who was probably the form driver in the entire field in the last couple of rounds. And then also Matt Payne, who was by far and away the standout rookie last season, getting a race victory in the last race of the year at the Adelaide 500. David Reynolds is gone, but Richie Stanaway is back for what will be his first full-time supercars season since 2019. Off the back of winning Bathurst last year with Triple Eight, he is aiming to resurrect his career this year. It's a team that has invested heavily in personnel like David Couchy and Grant McPherson. Stephen Grove, who owns the team, is a racer himself and quite a good racer in terms of the AM class of of GT level competition. And um, my prediction here is that Matt Payne's star is going to continue to rise. And I think that Richie Stanaway will have his best season as a full-time driver so far. But I do think that ultimately he's going to be outperformed by the raw speed of Payne. Where I'm thinking that this team is going to go particularly well this year is in the Enduros with um, Garth Tander, especially. I'm predicting some big results. In fact, I put it out there. And I will say that this team will win one of the Enduros. Whether that's Sandown or Bathurst, I'm not sure. But I reckon that Grove Racing will stand on the top step of the podium at one of the Enduros. In terms of their championship predicted finishing positions, I've got Matt Payne fifth, Richie Stanaway eighth. 
Uh, I've got Matt Payne seventh, and I've got Richie Stanaway in twelfth. Okay. So I think we need to hold the brakes a little bit on the Richie Stanaway story, um, and uh, and the same for the Matt Payne story. Um, I know everyone's excited about Richie coming back, but if you compare his times at the Bathurst One Thousand, that put him roughly around eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth. So he's going to have to still improve dramatically. Um, to match it with the best drivers in the in the field, and I and obviously he's he's changing teams, he's going to Groves. There's going to be a, t- a period of time where he's going to have to nurture himself into the into the fold again and and produce the results that I guess everyone's expecting. So I think because of that, I, I don't have him as high up as what a lot of other people um, will have. Um, and again, if you look at drivers, if you look at co-drivers that have come in and been successful. And then gone back into supercars, um, they've not entirely taken that opportunity and then gone and pushed themselves further. So Lee Holdsworth's a perfect example of that, and obviously he's in the situation that Stanaway is in. He was in the situation that Stanaway was in right now. He won Bathurst the previous year, was very quick in the Walkinshaw and United car, comes into Groves, and then just doesn't perform at the same level as we we thought he might after his Bathurst performance. And I kind of feel Stanaway is going to be in that same mould. I think the week-in, week-out scenario of supercars, he'll find that tough to acclimatise to at first, and I think that's what's going to hurt him in the first instances. We might see later in the year, and I think you you, you nailed it a little bit um, with your prediction for the for the Enduros. I think they're, they're a massive chance to to win an Enduro this year and Stanaway could be that person to, to deliver it for him. But I just don't think the consistency in him is going to be good enough to to get a top 10 result. And I think he's just going to be outside the top 10 uh, for the season. And with Matt Payne, again, I think, again, we need to temper his expectations. So everyone's sitting here going, oh, he'll be a genuine contender for um, the championship. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. But this is also a driver that's won one race and that race was his first podium. So for the rest of the season, he hadn't got a podium, and there were times where he would be outside the top 10, not performing really, really well, and then obviously there'd be times where he'd perform really, really well and put himself into a position, and really in Adelaide, he took advantage of that and put put the perfect performance together. But previously, he should have had multiple podiums or multiple top six finishes, but his race craft, his race pace, all mistakes from him hurt him a lot throughout the season. Now, obviously, year two is going to be different. He'll learn a lot of a lot of lessons from those mistakes. But to put it all together, all in one year, to go on and win a championship, I think we're a year a year behind that happening. I think we're, we still need another year of development in Matt Payne. And then in 2025, we might really see a uh, championship contender. Let's not forget that the person who won his first race at Adelaide in 2022, Brock Feeney, ended up finishing third in the title race in 2023 um, with a raft of really good performances. But Brock's inconsistencies throughout the year really hurt him along the way. And I kind of feel that Matt Payne's in that same scenario. And I kind of feel that Matt Payne's not going to go out and win four, five, six races throughout the year or put himself into that position to, to do so. So I still think we're a year away from seeing Matt Payne as a genuine championship contender. But for sure, this year, he can be in the top 10. That's why I've got him in seventh. I definitely think you'll be somebody that gives us some exciting moments on the track, that's for sure. 100%. Um, All right, so Matt Stone Racing, and this was one of the teams that exceeded our expectations last year with Jack LeBrock in particular winning a race and and finishing just outside the top 10 in the points. 
The bad news for MSR is that Jack LeBrock's gone. The other bad news is that when you look at their form last year, it really started to fade towards the end of the season. And I just reckon that they're going to be leapfrogged by other teams that have got more resources. Uh, they work hard. They've got some good engineers on board. They've got uh, a couple of very good drivers. Nick Perkett, very experienced. Cameron Hill, um, you know, talented and showed some glimpses of potential in his rookie season. But I just don't think that they've got the, the, the resources, to be brutally honest, to compete with some of the bigger teams. So I've got them finishing... Uh, with Cameron Hill in 20th and Nick Perk at 21st. I think, though, that it will be very close between the two of them. Uh, I've got Cameron Hill 21st and I've got Nick Perk at a little bit higher in 16th. I, I think I think we'll see a better performance from Nick Perk at this year. I think he'll find a home again. I think he'll find a, an environment that will bring out the best in his racing. So there'll be performances like what Jack LeBrock did um, for MSL last year. Um, there'll be performances like that with Nick Perkett that will bring him um, into the top 10 and maybe even a top six finish. Um, but again, I, I tend to agree with you. Last year, they started really well and they put in some really good performances and then they faded away really quickly towards the end of the year and really struggled and, and just could not get could not replicate what they were doing earlier in the season. And I kind of feel that with another year of development in Gen 3, if they haven't got the resources or they haven't got the personnel to, to take them forward, they're probably just going to remain in that position and be a little bit stagnant. And I just feel that that might be the situation in, in 2024. And that's why I have them so far lower than what um, well, I had, uh, what, what Jack and Cameron uh, did last year. But I think I actually have uh, Cameron a little bit higher this year than what I did last year. But for Jack in particular, I had him far lower and he, finished far higher than my expectations. I think the reason you put Cameron a bit higher this year is because it will be his second season, so you'd expect some improvement, and also you've got a, you know some new rookies coming in, and you'd expect Cameron to finish ahead of at least a couple of those rookies. So, Well, well he know. has to. Mm. The, 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 pure, the pure facts are he has to. Um, but he's also got, I'm, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he's got a two-year deal. He so, does, yeah. So, so he's safe this year and, and next year. Well, nothing safe as we, we know with a contract, <laughs> but he, he has got a contract. And same with Nick. Nick's got a two-year deal as well. So clearly they're looking for some um, some consistency with their driver lineup, and they'll get that. Um, you just hope that this team can, can do some really good performances. And obviously it's a big, big year for them as well, given that it's yeah the 20-year anniversary um, of, of certain factors as well. So 20, do you want to, do you want to elaborate it, on that? It's the 20th anniversary of... It's the 20th anniversary of Stone Brothers? Well, it's the 20th anniversary of Marcus Ambrose winning his second championship right, for Stone Brothers in 2004. And uh, Cameron is driving car number four this year, which was the race number that Marcus Ambrose ran in 01, 02, 03 before he obviously ran with the number one in 2004 and 2005 because he was the reigning champion. And Cameron also has... Paul Forgey as his engineer, who was Marcus Ambrose's championship-winning engineer. As I say, back to the future. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that play, plays out. Um, obviously, yeah, 20 years of, of Ambrose winning in 2004, but obviously 21 years since they won their, their first title in uh, 2003. So it'll be interesting to see how that how they play, uh, how the team goes this year. But, yeah, I, I just have a few concerns about um, their performances and, and 
their I guess resources to take them up further up the the championship ladder. Talking about consistency in driver lineups, and one of the teams that does have that is Premier Racing. So apart from DJR, they're the only other team that has retained their complete driver lineup heading into 2024 with James Golding and Tim Slade. There were some good signs of improvement for this team last year. And they've, again, another team that's invested in in personnel at the top level with the addition of Ludo Lacroix, which I think will see the team achieving some stronger results at some rounds. Still don't see the consistency quite being there, though, compared to some of the other teams. But I do think that Golding... I, I can see Golding delivering the team its first podium in its current guise this year. And notice that I did say Golding. I think that out of the two drivers, Golding's probably... And if you go back to last year... He was the one that looked more likely out of the two to deliver a big result. So I think that if you were going to predict him or Slade to get the team's first podium, you would be leaning towards Golding. And I actually, I see that gap between the two widening a bit this year. And I've got Golding predicted to finish 12th in the championship and Slade 18th. Uh, I've got a wider gap. So I've got Golding in 13th and I've actually got Tim Slade in 20th. Um... This is another one of those drivers who has a make-it-or-break-it year uh, with Tim Slade. Um, obviously, if he doesn't perform well this year, then more than likely this will be his last year in supercars um, after a pretty pretty long career and also a career which is sort of promised, not promised, promised is not the right word for it, but it's sort of, it's at stages been ended and then he's got reprieves and come back and, and been able to race again. So, um Full credit to Tim Slade for fighting back and, and coming back a couple of times after leaving BJR, then coming back with Blanchards, then leaving Blanchards and going to, to Premier. But I just feel that Tim Slade's performances last year, he really struggled towards the end of the year. And unless he dramatically improves his performances into 2024, I can see that sort of that trend line continuing. And yeah, I think this year is going to be um, a tough year for him. In relation to Golding, I think you're 100% spot on. Um, he provided some really good moments last year. Um, obviously, the performance at Bathurst where he qualified uh, inside the top five. And then at times, they were running inside the top 10. And then um, Newcastle, he finished fourth as well earlier in the season. So James Golding's provided some glimpses of what he can do. But it's just the package. It's really about that package delivering and, and providing the, the window for both of those two drivers to, to get good results. And with Ludo Lacroix coming in, you feel that if he can get um, that car humming to what it was, to what he was able to provide to DJR during their golden years, you feel that an instant performance rise is going to happen. So it'll be interesting to see if it does. Um, but yeah, I reckon at one stage this year, Jimmy Golding's going to be on the podium and I reckon um, that will be Premier's first one ever. And who knows, they may even get a win along the way, um, depending on on the circumstances with Golding as well. Because as we've seen um, with, with the leaving, uh, with, with Brody Kostecki and Shane Van Gisbergen leaving, there is a there is an opportunity. The, 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 there is a wider um, field of talent um, that could go on and win a race this year. And there's nothing to suggest that James can't be one of those drivers that can go on and win a race as well. So um, if everything's right throughout the season, um, he could certainly be on the top step of the podium. Before we talked about some question marks over the culture at Erebus Motorsport, but another team where you'd have to say that there probably are some question marks over the, the culture within the team is Team 18, particularly after the, the, the disaster at Bathurst and the subsequent exit of key staff 
including Brew and Beasley. Mark Winterbottom stays at Team 18, but Scott Pye's out. David Reynolds comes in, and they've also had some changes at the top level with Adrian Burgess coming in as the team principal, and his challenge is going to be to make sure that the right culture is created within the team to, to foster an environment of, of everybody punching or, you know, rowing in the same direction, as it were, in the pursuit of success. Um, I think, yeah, David Reynolds, I mean, how must he be feeling at the moment? Because he's leaving the Grove Racing Team, where he was arguably the form driver at the Gold Coast and Adelaide, the last two events of last season, and heading to a team that, to, to be brutally honest, doesn't seem to be anywhere near as well organised as what Grove Racing was. Yeah, well, from Bathurst until the last round in Adelaide, the number one points accumulator for those those three rounds was David Reynolds. So if you, if you just did a championship on those three rounds, David Reynolds would have been a champion. So he was in superb form heading into the, the latter stages of the year. And now he goes to a team where um, towards the end of the year, they really struggled. I mean, albeit in, on the Gold Coast, uh, Scott Pye was able to produce some really good performances and was pretty unlucky not to finish inside the top six. But particularly on the Winterbottom camp, they really struggled towards the end of that year. And I think for Winterbottom, in the last, I think, eight or nine races, he only finished twice inside the top ten, and both of them were ninth and ninth. And you kind of expect him to do a lot better with, with that with that situation. So, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see how Reynolds goes with that. And, and as I alluded to at the end of the year with the podcast, when we were dissecting all the performances, if you look at Reynolds' year, as soon as the concerns about parity were erased and he, hadn't, he, he didn't have any concerns about off-track scenarios, we saw really good performances on the track. So if he's in the right headspace, he'll, he'll be able to extract some really good results in that Team 18 car. But if his head's not in the game again, like we saw early, earlier on in the year, in 2023, it could, it could be another scenario where we don't see the best out of David Reynolds and then that team's probably going to struggle once again. So um, I don't think that's going to happen. I think David's going to pick his form pick up his form and continue it into into 2024. I've actually got him 10th. I actually think that he'll be able to do a similar scenario to Scott Pye and really extract some good results out of that Team 18. And I think with his consistency over Scott Pye, I think he'll be able to stay in and around that top 10. So that's why I've got him 10th. I've actually got Mark Winterbottom 19th. Um, the main reason for that is if you look at last year's standings, he finished 15th um, and it was about... 100 points away from 19th position. Now, if you if you want to argue, he got that race win in Darwin. If you take that 100 points away, now, full credit to him, he deserved the win and everything else in between, but that first position was an outlier to his position throughout the season. Um, if you take that, that first win away, he almost falls back to that 19th spot. Mm. Um, so I kind of feel that, um, yeah, if it's going to be, I feel it's going to be a tough season for Mark Winterbottom. And obviously, um, that there, there's always a time in a, in a driver's career where they sort of go over the cliff and start to, to sort of regress a little bit. And, I mean, Winterbottom is at that stage of his career where this could be his last year. Um, he's been in the category for a long time. So um, there comes a point where you, it's not that you're not good enough anymore. It's just everything sort of declines in a way that sort of you fall away from the sport a little bit. So um, I kind of hope it doesn't happen. I kind of hope we see the best of Mark Winterbottom. But I guess, unfortunately, it's 
at, at some stage it's going to happen and I'm and I'm going to predict that it's going to happen this year and I, that's why I've got him at 19th um, in terms of the team I think this year is just a rebuilding year for them I think it's just putting all the the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together to be really competitive in 2025 they may show some glimpses throughout the year of being really competitive but then there also might be some times where we don't see anything from them for a, or a weekend they might be completely anonymous and we just go oh did team 18 race this weekend because they might be 15th and 17th so you're probably going to get a mixed lolly bag with them this year but i expect in 2025 that may change significantly as adrian burgess and jeffrey Sla- jeff slater and those guys start to infiltrate the the team and start to put their imprints on it and we'll probably see a little bit better of a better of a picture in 2025 of what team 18 can provide so I predicted Winterbottom to come 19th as well. So that's another drive where our championship predictions have been exactly the same for similar reasons to what you gave. And then with David Reynolds, I predicted him to finish a bit lower. I said 13th for him. Again, I just have some question marks, not so much over Reynolds, but more just the team, particularly off the back of what we saw towards the end of last season. Uh, all right, Tickford Racing. So... This is a team to me that is as well positioned as they've ever been. They've scaled back to two cars and they've got one driver who is at the peak of his powers and the other one who is a star on the rise. So with Cameron Waters, um, he was, for me, one of the, the best drivers of 2023 because even though the results often didn't go his way with everything from cars catching fire to co-drivers crashing the car at Bathurst to um, Eric Wales smashing his rear wing at Sandown. Um, He always kept his chin up, and the performance that he was able to extract from that Ford, particularly in qualifying at the point of the season where it seems that the the parity concerns between the Mustang and the Camaro were at their worst, that was a standout. He was a standout among all of the Ford drivers. So with the parity situation seemingly being resolved for this year, with... A couple of his main rivals in Shane Van Gisberg and Brody Kostecki not likely to be on the grid in any capacity in 2024. I actually reckon that all of the planets are aligning for Cameron Waters this year and I've tipped him to win the championship. I've got him first. Uh, As for Thomas Randall, we saw some big improvements for him last year, particularly at the back end of the season, um, you know, podiums at Tail and Bend, another podium that he added in Adelaide as well, where he came third in the Saturday race. He was 13th in the championship last year, which was a significant improvement on where he was in 2022. And I see him continuing to move forward this year, so I've got him tipped to come seventh uh, in the championship for this year. We are really no fun in this. Uh, oh, don't tell me you're agreeing with me again. Yeah, I've got Cameron Waters as number one <laughs> and Tom Randall as number eight. <laughs> yeah, I kind of thought you might be a little bit different. So, yeah, there's a few points with this. So, for starters, if you look at if you look at Waters' season last year, if you take away the Darwin performance, the Bathurst performance and the... Sandown performance, he finished, ended up finishing 20th. But if you put those three results back in at where he probably finished, he finishes clearly as the number one Ford and almost matching it with the the um, four Camaros at front from Triple Eight and Erebus. So, in a car that wasn't performing as good as the other uh, as the other manufacturer, he just performed. He was the number. I know. I know the the the, the standings will say Chas Mostert was the number one four driver, but in terms of actually in terms of actual performances 
for the year and wins, Cameron Waters was by far the best Ford driver. So you'd expect if that package is a parity is exactly the same, then they'll be right in the hunt. The other the other two factors as well is that in the last four four races of the year, Cameron Waters was quick. Mm-hmm. And he was consistently quick. Yes, David Reynolds ended up having the most points, but Cameron Waters was was consistently quick and was able to put himself in in a in a, in a position to win. And given that, if you look at the ingredients of Brody's success last year, it was qualifying really really well. It was having the race craft to go on and perform really really well. And then it was it was basically keeping your nose out of trouble. Now, in terms of Waters, that last part's a question mark. But a couple of those factors were out of his control. So you'd kind of sort of say that, yes, he does keep his nose clean. But to me, a championship contender needs to qualify really, really well. And if you take away Brody and Shane Van Gisbergen, to me, the best qualifier in the field right now is Cameron Waters. Mm. So if you put him in that position where he's going to qualify the car every single race and probably qualify consistently the best out of everyone else, he's going to start races in far better positions than most of the other uh, other drivers, and that will put him in good position to extract the best results out of that in the consistency battle for the championship. And then I just think he's going to win plenty of races. If you look at if you take away last year, obviously, and and a lot of people will call it as an outlier. No one beat. Cameron Waters, except for Shane Van Gisbergen and Scott McLaughlin previously. Mm-hmm. So if the if the playing field is level and Cameron Waters' rivals are all gone, so Scott McLaughlin, Brody Kostecki and Shane Van Gisbergen, the general feeling from my end is that Cameron Waters, A, should be the favourite for the title and B, he probably has every ingredient that is at his disposal to go on and win the championship. The other factor, and you alluded to it when you were talking about Tickford, is they've gone from four cars to two cars. The last time they went to two cars, they won the Drivers' Championship. With Wintermodem in 2015. Correct. Yep. And they had a quick car. And and if you look at if you look at gen if you look at the previous generations of cars, Tickford's always either come out of the blocks with a really quick car or in Year two, they have been one of the teams to beat. Mm. So for me, with everything lining up, I think Cameron Waters to me is the number one pick, and I think he will be the one to to be the champion at the end of the year. The other factor as well, and we'll get to that with Triple Eight, is that they've got two really strong drivers. There's going to be points in time in the year where they're going to take points of each other. Now, with all due respect to Tom Randall, who had a really great second half of the year, I still think he's 12 months away to being a championship contender. So if, if Tickford have to make a decision to put all their eggs in one basket, it's going to go in the water's basket. Whereas if Triple Eight have to make a decision between Brock Feeney and Will Brown, that's going to be a harder situation to make because we've seen in previous years they favoured Shane Van Gisbergen and then they favoured Brock Feeney at times as well. So they're going to probably do the same. They're not going to have a number one driver. It's going to be if someone's in, the, in an advantage over the other, they're going to pick that, that person in advantage. So that could have a factor as to whether those two drivers can can get enough points to, to accumulate over Waters. But we'll get to that in a sec. In terms of Tom Randall, he's never finished inside the top 10, but I think he would certainly do that this year. He, he has, we're, we're arguing that 
Cameron Waters as the best package in the in the field this year, then obviously Tom will have that at, at his disposal as well. But I just feel he's 12 months away from getting to that position to be a really good championship contender. He's never won a race before. He's obviously been on the podium, which he did for the first time last year. So. I think that'll change this year. I'm, I'm tipping Randall to get his first race win. 100%. I, and yeah. I agree. I think mm. there'll be... A, and, and, and I'll probably lock it in right now. Tail and Bend, he'll go on and win it. That's difficult, given that the Bend's not on the calendar this that year. That is a very good point. Uh, when it comes back. But actually, in Adelaide, in, a, in South Australia-based events, he actually did really, really well. Yes, you're right. They, they can get rid of the Bend. Um, anyway, point is, when they do go to an Adelaide-based event, he's really good there. So he'll probably win at Adelaide 500 to end the year. And then when the Bend comes back in 2024, uh, 2025, he'll win again. But yeah. That just goes to show how weird and wacky the calendar is as well. But we'll we'll, we'll leave that uh, to the side. But I think he'll be really consistent this year, but just not consistent enough to be a championship contender. And I think he'll be yeah eighth. I think he'll get his first top 10 finish in the championship. So two teams left, and I've got this feeling that we might be agreeing a little bit more Probably. here. So Triple Eight Race Engineering, obviously a, a, a new look lineup. Feeney stays there, but... Will Brown comes in to replace the US-bound Shane Van Gisbergen. And Brock Feeney took a, another big step forward from his rookie year last year where he went from, you know, being a, a consistent top five or top six runner to being a, a regular contender for podiums and for race wins, you know, a, a championship contender for much of the year as well. Uh, I think he'll be a championship contender as well. Uh, again, as will Will Brown. I'm expecting both drivers to be regular podium finishers and race winners. The battle for supremacy within that team will be huge. I do reckon that Feeney will just edge out Brown on consistency. So I've got Brock Feeney coming second in the championship and Will Brown third. Yeah, exactly the same. <laughs> so our top three in the championship are exactly the same. Oh, and I reckon our top four is actually exactly the same as well because we haven't got there yet and I reckon we might be on the same page as that, with that as well. Yeah, I, I, I think Brock will beat Will. But can I make a can I make a quick, a quick public service announcement? So there's been people in the media and people out in the public saying that when Triple Eight needed to make their decision uh, in the middle of the year as to who they were going to dr- pick as their new driver for 2024, whether that was Will Brown or Richie Stanaway, everyone's come to the consensus that, oh, they should have picked Richie Stanaway. Can I remind everyone that, A, Will Brown is a fantastic driver and has more runs on the board than Richie Stanaway in terms of, A, race wins, B, positions in terms of championship on on the on the supercars ladder. C, he's been in the sport as a full-time driver almost longer than Richie Stanaway. The other factor as well is when Triple Eight made their decision, Will Brown was at the top of his powers. He was leading the championship heading into the bend and he was in prime position to take out his first championship. At that same point in time, Richie Stanaway had still not proven what he ended up proving later in the year at the Bathurst 1000. And granted, he did a really good performance at the Bathurst 1000. And I'm not saying that Richie Stanaway is a terrible driver. I think he's a fantastic driver and certainly deserving of a full-time grid. But to make the assumption that, hey, we should have picked Richie Stanaway, well, Triple Eight should have picked Richie Stanaway over Will Brown is utter nonsense. Will Brown was clearly one of the top four drivers on the grid at that point in time. He was the best free agent, if you could call it a free agent, because he broke his contract to go there. But 
He clearly wanted to go there. So he was the best driver available at that time. And I think we need to stop looking at immediacy in terms of making decisions or coming up with opinions. We need to take the take the graph a little bit wider and look at full results before we start making assumptions and assertions. I think Will Brown will prove this year why he was picked over Richie Stanaway and he will prove that they made the right decision and at times in the year Will Brown will deliver what what Triple Eight have have paid for and have have taken on board to get to get him there. I think that they they did the right decision to pick Will Brown, and I cannot wait until we're at the end of the year and maybe Will Brown being a championship winner to to be proven right that they made the right decision in Will Brown. I think he's a fantastic signing for them, and and the other factor as well is. What's coming out in the wash now with Erebus could have had a major factor on what Will Brown's performances mm. in the second half of the year were like. Yeah, now I'm not going to get into in the perspective, doesn't it? I'm not getting into the specifics. It could have, could not have. It may have happened. It may not have. But clearly, with everything that's coming out in the wash, clearly things weren't great at that at that time with the team. So clearly, that could have had an impact on Will Brown's performances. So, at the end of the day. Triple Eight made the right decision to pick the driver that was in the best form at that period of time. And I hope Will Brown proves a few people wrong by other people going, oh, Richie Stanaway should have been in the car when he delivered in two races, whereas Will Brown has delivered at least 20 before that. So um, I think we need to pump the pedal a little bit and, and sort of hold the brakes a little bit on, um, on on it should have been Richie Stanaway until we give Will Brown the credit and the and the token opportunity to perform in that car. And I think he will. I think he'll give Rockfini a real big shake this year. But again, back to the point, I'm now done with my uh, public service announcement. In terms of the two drivers, they're going to be very competitive. You'd expect Triple Eight to be um, far better in year two than they were in year one with the package because obviously they the, the homologation team, but they're not going to have many issues with, with homologating the, the car compared to what they did in year one. They've also got two new chassis, so you'd think that the issues that they had in year one with the steering racks and the gear brake, uh, the gears and, and everything else, uh, sorry, the gearbox, I should say, um, and everything else, you'd think that that would be rectified. So those issues will be not happening. So you'd think that they're going to be, they are going to be clearly better in 2024, which puts them right into position. Um, Brock's going to be a massive challenge to, in my opinion, the the, the championship elect, champion elect in, in Cameron Waters, and he may go on and win it. To be really honest, it wouldn't surprise me if he did. I think Brock Finney's in the right position right now to to go on and win the championship. Mm. And it was fu- it was funny. There was a comment from Tony Quinn late last year on the Spec Cafe podcast where he basically said that while everyone was celebrating at the gala dinner and and sort of ha- enjoying the night, Brock wasn't. Brock was contemplating, figuring out what he's going to do in 2024 and then attack it. And mm-hmm. I reckon we're going to see a really, really motivated Brock Feeney and that could easily lead him to being the champion at the end of the year. One thing I will say, though, is that the Triple Eight team, it does have a bit of a fun factor about it this year. I mean, yes, Brock, Brock's very serious and very competitive, but... Both he and Will Brown are still the sorts of guys that are very engaging personalities off the track. And Will, in particular, likes to, to go racing and likes to be competitive, but he likes to enjoy himself while he's doing it. So I kind of felt we got that at Erebus last year. Mm. Like, yeah. take away what's happened between the bend and, and now and then the off-season. At the start of the year, like those two, like, well, and they still are, 
Brody and Will are best mates, but it, it was kind of like it was just a fun weekend for both of them. And, oh, hey, we're really competitive as well. So I reckon that's going to be exactly the same at, at Triple Eight as well. And that, that might be a good thing for the team as well. It, yes, yes, Triple Eight's Triple Eight. They will always be hard-edged and, and dedicated to performing really well. But it might be nice and a little bit of a change that there might be a little bit more of a fun scenario that team and it could it could really yield some really great results like what it did when the when Lowndes was there I mean Lowndes would have been determined to win but we all know what Lowndes does off the track where he's the the bubbly and always smiling person that we, we've grown to to appreciate and, and admire so it could be in a similar situation where the the fun that those two provide could be balanced really nicely with the the hard edge performance that Triple Eight demand and and want, and that could yield some really good results. So that's Triple Eight. We've got one more team left to get through, and that's Walkinshaw Andretti United with Chaz Mostert and Ryan Wood coming in, the third rookie on the grid to replace Nick Perkett, another very very fast Kiwi who had some great results in Porsche Michelin Sprint Challenge. That was the first time that we saw him in action here in Australia, but then stepped up to the Super 2 Series last year where he was a a star immediately on the pace with lots of race and round victories and obviously didn't end up winning the championship because he had a few DNFs, but he was certainly one of the fastest drivers in the field. With Chaz... On his day, he is unstoppable and can be the best driver in the field, particularly in wet weather conditions. But there's still some doubts about his consistency over a season. When you look at his past championship campaigns, he's had some excellent results, but there's always been rounds where he's had poor results that have ultimately meant that he hasn't been a factor in the championship. And... I see a similar scenario playing out this year. I think he might win a few races, but there might be just enough poor results to mean that he's just a bit outside that top three when it comes to the final point standings. As for Ryan Wood, I reckon that he will be the best of the rookies with some impressive results on occasion. Might even get a podium at some point during the year as well. Championship predictions, I've got Chaz Mostert in fourth and I've got Ryan Wood 17th. Yeah, top four is exactly the same. I've got Chaz in fourth as well, and I've got Ryan Wood in 18th. <laughs> as I said, as I said, we have not shown each other results and we've not shown each other anything before this podcast. So the fact that we're pretty much almost on song is A, scary, and B, if our predictions end up being pretty much spot on, well, Lachlan and I will be heading to the, the nearest Powerball outlet to buy some lottery tickets. So can I just say that out of the 24 drivers in the field, you and I have both predicted exactly the same championship result for 10 of them. Yeah. 10 drivers we have predicted to finish in exactly the same position in the championship. And I reckon out of probably the next five or six, there's probably one spot different. Yeah, so there's also quite a few where there's only one spot different. The, the biggest difference in our predictions was Andre Heimgartner, where there was a six-position difference in our predictions. Yeah. Going back to Walkinshaw and Andretti United, I, I agree 100% with what you're saying with Chaz. I think the inconsistency of him sometimes on a race weekend will be his downfall this year. There's no there's no doubt that if he can put it all together with his new engineer, they can be a championship contender. And that's what WAU want, and that's what they expect. And I'm assuming Chaz is in that same position. Um, he, wants, he wants to battle for a championship and wants to win a championship. And his consistency last year was what kept him into putting him as the, the top forward. But the problem is he didn't get a race win. He hardly was on the podium. And whenever we saw great pace from him, 
he'd always have to fight back from 8th or 10th or 12th or 15th to come back through the field and get a really good performance. Well, if he does that again this year, and the likes of Cameron Waters, Brock Feeney, and Will Brown qualify inside the top five, well, you're already conceding margin before you start the race, and that's going to hurt him in the long run throughout the year. So he's mm. got to improve his qualifying. The The car's got to be better as a package for both race and qualifying. It can't be just one or the other. And, and then, yeah, everything's just got to work, work out the right way for him. So, look, this is his best opportunity, like probably a couple of others, to go on and win a championship. So... Fingers crossed from his end, he can um, he can go on and deliver it. But I just feel that the, the top three are, are just that step a little... Not, they're not a step above, but they're just a, a fraction better in certain areas that's going to put them higher than Chaz this year. Ryan Wood, to me, is Matt Payne version two. There will be situations where Ryan Wood will genuinely surprise the field and he will be really, really quick. And I reckon by the end of the year, he'll put something together like what Matt Payne did in Adelaide. I'm, I'm not expecting him to win, but I'm expecting him to put a top six or a, or a podium finish together. And there'll be a time where we will sit there and go, well, we've got another quick New Zealander that will be here in the championship for a, for a few years. Ryan Wood is another one of those drivers who will take time to, to develop, but once he starts getting his head around the game and and um, his head around the around supercars, he'll be quick and he'll be riding contention again and, and doing some really good things at the end of the year. Yep, couldn't agree more with you on that. And that pretty much sums up this podcast because we've done a lot of agreeing in this episode. Our top three drivers' championship predictions are exactly the same. We've both tipped Cameron Waters to win ahead of Brock Feeney and Will Brown so that at least we can hopefully disagree on something. Can I please get your top three predictions for the team's championship? Are we going to disagree on this though? <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> so based on my standings, I've got Triple Eight number one. Yep. I'll have Tickford number two. And so our top two are the same. And What's then I'll have three? probably DJR as number three. Okay, we disagree on that. So I've got Grove Racing as number three. Yeah, so the reason why I have DJR higher is that I've got Anton and Will sixth and ninth, and that's far higher than Matt Payne and Richie Stanaway in seventh and twelfth in terms of my predictions. And then I think I think the other contenders for the top three are obviously Walkinshaw, Andretti United, Erebus, and, and Brad Jones Racing. Brad Jones Racing with... Bryce Ford and Andre Heimgartner. The issue is Bryce Ford was going to have to do really well in BJR. Ryan Wood's going to have to do really well in Walkinshaw and Dreddy United. And Erebus, in terms of Jack LeBrock and um, Todd Hazelwood, they're going to have to be consistent throughout the year and extract the full pace of that, that car that's going to be quick in, in the initial circumstances. But then, obviously, as other teams um, figure things out, they'll catch up. And whether those two drivers can can continue that that form line throughout the season, well, that remains to be seen, as we discussed earlier. But they're the other contenders for, for probably the top three. I think the other teams, unfortunately, are going to do need to do some significant work between now and the and the start of the season to be in the top three and, and perform, I guess, above our expectations. Yeah, especially teams like Team 18 and, and Matt Stone Racing that you, you might have expected last year who have been somewhere in that mix as well. But that wraps up our 2024 Repco Supercars Championship Preview Podcast. Jonesy, thanks for joining me. Bring on the season. Bring it on.